As we hear God's word, as it is summarized for us from Lord's Day 10, these pieces of scripture we read together in support of that confessional statement we have. In God's word, we turn first to Job chapter 1, where we read verse 12 and verse 20 to 22. I trust even you young children know the story of Job, how he had so much, and in an instant God suddenly took everything away from him except for his wife. What a trial it was for him, and we read of those things, and in particular noting how Satan challenged God, saying, Job just serves you because you give him so much. What kind of faith is that? It really wasn't anything as far as Satan was concerned. And so God says to us as he speaks to Satan for Job's sake in verse 12 of chapter 1, we read God's holy word. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And after all those catastrophes that befell Job, We read in verse 20, Then Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. And then to Psalm 55, we read at verse 16 to verse 23 to the end of the chapter. Psalm 55, words of David, the psalm writer, showing again something of the many trials that he faced. Psalm 55 at verse 16, he writes, As for me, I call upon God, and the Lord shall save me evening and morning, and at noon I will pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. He has redeemed my soul in peace from the battle that was against me, for there are many against me. God will hear and afflict them, even he who abides from of old, because they do not change, therefore they do not fear God. And then describing the enemy of David, he says, He has put forth his hands against those who were at peace with him. He has broken his covenant. The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, shall bring them down to the pit of destruction. Bloodthirsty and deceitful men shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. And then lastly, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 7, where Solomon the king, writing important words of wisdom and guidance for us. Ecclesiastes 7. We read verse 13 and 14. Consider the work of God, for who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful, but in the day of adversity, consider, surely God has appointed the one as well as the other, so that man cannot find out 
man can find out nothing that will come after him. And then we turn to the Heidelberg Catechism, one of our three forms of unity, to Lord's Day 10. We find that on page 525 in the back of our books of praise. Lord's Day 10, question and answer 27 and 28. Question 27, what do you understand by the providence of God? God's providence is his almighty and ever-present power whereby, as with his hand, he upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. 28, what does it benefit us to know that God has created all things and still upholds them by his providence? We can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and with a view to the future, we can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature shall separate us from his love, for all creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will... They cannot so much as move. This we confess as Reformed believers in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, since God has the power to create heaven and earth by his spoken word, he surely has the power to maintain all that he has created, a God who is wise, who is able to govern it and to maintain it by his almighty power. And since the Bible shows God to be a God of love and mercy and compassion, he will also govern heaven and earth in the very same manner, with compassion, with mercy, and with love. Indeed, it is a marvelous testimony of God's love that he has allowed the earth to remain as long as it has, both both in seed time and harvest, in summer and winter, all these many centuries, despite man's wickedness, how good the Lord is and has been, so full, of, so full of mercy, so slow in anger, so kind and considerate to his creation. And so under these eternal truths, if you will, that in a sense stand over us, under these truths, we enjoy the many blessings of God's providence. Our theme this afternoon, we enjoy the many blessings of God's providence. Shall we not say with the patriarch Jacob, who said, I am not worthy of the least of all of thy mercies? Or Ezra the scribe, who said, Thou, O God, hast punished us less than our iniquities deserve. Now that's quite a statement to say amen to. Both of these men uh, <clears throat> were reflecting upon God's goodness in their lives. And in particular upon his providence that was so rich and so full of blessing. And from the Heidelberg Catechism, we also learn something of what that providence of God looks like. And we see in the first place how our Lord calls us to be patient when things go against us. 
children, adversity means when things go against you and life is difficult and you are hurt and, and you are beset with troubles, adversity, then we are taught to be patient. Question 28 of the Catechism asks, what does it benefit us to know that God has created all things and he still upholds them by his providence? We can be patient in adversity. A nice, short answer. That's what we like to hear at times. Short and sweet and simple. We can be patient in adversity. Having Patience is a great virtue, congregation. It is so essential for us to have because we know that everything has come to us from the hand of God, our joys as well as our troubles. Ecclesiastes speaks of this. As the king writes, consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful, but in the day of adversity, hey, when things go against you, then consider this too. Surely God has appointed the one as well as the other, so that man can find out nothing that will come after him. You see, what God has willed to happen will surely happen, and who can change it? And if he has made something crooked from our perspective, how could we make it straight? Whether he has done something for good or for ill, straight or crooked, how can we change it? Yet we might look at a crooked thing or a bad thing as something negative or bad, but God even intends that for our good. Thus, we must be patient when things go against us because even in such situations, God is working in us and through us and guiding us, not simply to make life difficult for us, but in order to work for our benefit. Notice how question 28 begins, what does it benefit us? <clears throat> not how does it trouble you, how does, make, does it make life bad for you? No, how does it benefit us? Providence is always a very beneficial thing. And this we notice at the outset on question 27. What do you understand by God's providence? It reads, God's providence is his almighty. And every present power whereby is with his hand he still upholds. That is meant to be a very good thing. He still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, <clears throat> and we are of those creatures that he has made and who he will surely uphold, because the, the Catechism goes on to say that things happen to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand, another word that means something very, very good, something beneficial, something loving, he holds us by his fatherly hand. And so, brothers and sisters, when you are very sick, you still have a loving God. Surely God has appointed your health as well as your sickness. Ecclesiastes 7, 14, 7 verse 14 teaches us, so then we can be patient. And we must be patient in adversity when these things go against us. For God is certainly determined that such will happen. 
He has determined that thing, there, are, there will be things that go against you. And that's his providence in action for your good. Oh, God's providence at times is a great mystery as to why things happen. We are times speechless and we don't know the answer. But we must know it comes from a God in heaven who has a fatherly disposition to us, a God whose ways are wise and they are good. For the moment in a difficult situation, that's all we can see, our trouble right in front of us, and we don't know how we can get out of it. And we're not yet thinking of the end that God might have in store for us, surely will have in store for us. Should we then not be patient? Should we then not get upset on our high horse and go off on a bit of a rampage in anger against things or against the world or against life? No, not at all. But patience in adversity and in a prayerful manner to consider to hold on to God despite the difficulty you are in. That's what we read congregation in Psalm 55. David is in a real pickle here. He's in trouble. He says, ask for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me. Hey, talk about faith. He shall save me. Evening and morning and noon, I will pray and cry to God, cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. He has redeemed my soul in peace from the battle that was against me. There were many against me. David is outnumbered by his enemies. He doesn't complain or grumble, but he gets on his knees, and guess what? Three times, evening, morning, and noon, he cries aloud to God. This was the pattern of his prayer life. Serious trials beset him, but he cried out to God continually, day after day, and God heard him, and God delivered him. He endured patiently. Though the catechism was written many centuries after David was on the earth, he would have understood Lord's Day 10, to be sure. He would have said, yep, this is how we are to live. This is the kind of God we have. We are to be patient in adversity and prayerfully seeking the Lord for strength and guidance by his grace while God was at work in him. And even if he didn't know why God was bringing this calamity, that doesn't matter. Do we have to know everything and every reason for everything that happens in our lives? No, we don't, because we're just people. We're just small children, creatures. And if God is not pleased to make known to us in some kind of fashion, that's all right. He is God. We are his people. We are but men. But we have a God who's faithful and fatherly, in his providential care. Compare that congregation to the unbeliever who does not know such things, nor could he understand them. And to him, everything seems to come by chance or by fate. Well, if everything really did come by chance, and truth be told, there's really no such thing as chance, and if God could not control the universe at all, why, then we might have reason to gripe when things go against us. Or we might say, well, what a rotten piece of luck I had this week. 
and be all ticked off at life. But no, you do not have that privileged congregation to think or to act that way. Indeed, question 28 says, how does it benefit us to know that God has created all things and still upholds them by his providence? We can be patient in adversity when things go against us. Our good and gracious God has so ordered our lives that nothing comes by chance whatsoever, but by his fatherly hand he so governs all things, leaf and blade, the tiniest blade and little spike of grass on your front lawn, and there's millions of them, of course, all of them are under his government. Rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, your health, your sickness, your riches or your poverty, indeed all things come to us, not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. Brothers and sisters, God so governs our lives as he governs the stars above. No problem for God to do either one. He made them all. The hairs on your head are under God's keeping just as much as the far-flung galaxies of the universe are under his intimate care and direction and upholding at the same time. And therefore, brothers and sisters, what do we do when our life is in a mess? When we're troubled, when we find out news, we have cancer in the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, consider surely God has appointed the one as well as the other so that man can find, out, can find nothing that will come after him. Man does not know the future. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow morning as you head off to work or if you stay in the house as a godly homemaker to take care of things, whether that will be good or be bad, whether it will be straight or be crooked, only God knows those things. And he has determined them. That does not make you in the least irresponsible to say, I'm governed by his almighty power. I can't do a thing of my own will. No, not at all. We're responsible people. We take charge of our lives. We'll be held accountable for what we do, what we decide. And yet it is the Lord who brings to pass what is going to happen Will you know this week if things will only go for you or will also there be things that go against you? You don't know. You don't know how crooked life is going to be this week or how straight things are going to fall in line for you. Only God knows these things. And if things really go badly for you this week, do you have the right to judge God? Quibble with his providence? You don't. Hear what Job had to, had to say when everything went against him. <clears throat> he lost his children, he lost his flocks, his herds, his cattle, his servants, except for his wife. And Job said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God 
with wrong. Job really, truly did not find any fault with God whatsoever. But he was patient. Yes, he had to learn big time what long-suffering was all about. He did. That's okay. The Lord sometimes puts us through our paces to teach us, to hone us, to shape us, to make us better men, better women, stronger Christians, more faithful, and all of that. Job learned patience, though he, through the suffering of this great tragedy, he was humble, all right, resting in the wisdom of his maker, who had given him all these riches, resting in his maker, though he had no clue as to why God had turned on him in such a way, yet he did not criticize or judge God. This was Job's faith. He entrusted his life to God's good providence and congregation that is to be our faith. What flows out of faith? Well, you all know the answer, good works. What do good works look like? Well, here is an example for you to, to emulate. The suffering you may go through still gives you, the, requires for you the call to patiently endure through that adversity. Talk about a good work. Talk about a witness of God the Father and Christ in your love when you can manifest the patience of Job even though it's got to be very tough. We can't imagine what he went through. But he found no fault with God. He did not charge God of any wrong. In a sense, nothing more needs to be said. Be patient in adversity because we're talking about God's providence in our lives. But secondly, when things go well, what must we do? We must be thankful. Question 28, what does it benefit us to know that God has created all things and still upholds them by his providence? Another nice short answer, we can be thankful in prosperity. Solomon himself preached the same thing here. He says in 7 verse 14, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. We think, well, that should be an easy thing to do, and yet God commands. There's an imperative here. God commands us to be joyful. Uh, that means, of course, being grateful and thankful and happy in the Lord when things go well, when you prosper. But truth be told, even that is not an easy thing to do. Remember how unthankful Israel was when God blessed them so immensely in the promised land. It wasn't long before they went a-whoring after all the other gods and forgot about God as the one who feeds them, gives them all that they need. When they were rich, they still would complain against God. Remember that wonderful food from heaven, that manna in the wilderness? Well, they soon began to loathe the food that God was giving to them. In congregation, it makes us think too, doesn't it? How, how good we have it, how much plenty we enjoy, and yet there's something in us that always wants a little bit more, 
a little bit better. A greedy heart is not far from any one of us. But then rather, congregation, be thankful, be joyful in prosperity. This command of God implies being satisfied with the good things that he has given to you. For like adversity, prosperity doesn't come by chance either, but from God's fatherly hand. He appoints the one as well as the other. If God controls the clouds that come our way that are heavily laden with rain, so he also controls those dry, clear skies and days and days where it doesn't rain like this past summer that too was under the hand of God immediately directly God appoints the one as well as the other he controls the markets the stocks he controls all of these things are under his immediate uh, uh, examination and guidance he controls your heart the ingenuity that you have has has been given to you from him He controls the things that you're called upon to do. He gives you the intellect you have and the giftedness that you have. He gave Job such a great amount of wealth before it was his pleasure to take it away from him. And so things, when things go well with you, be filled with humble thanksgiving to God. Then sing his praise. Isn't that a reason for singing in church every single Sunday? When you look back on the week, can't we say, oh, the Lord has blessed us again? Yeah, I had some tough days, but I'm here, I'm healthy, I'm well. The Lord has blessed us. Are we not supposed to sing on Sunday because of that? Like the Psalm 124 we just sang. Wasn't that a beautiful song to sing in praise of God's providence? And so we bring our offerings of gratitude. We give him his due as our Heavenly Father. And then a reminder in that prosperity we have, please do not become proud or boast of your achievements or your business savvy. Your boasting and pride is sin. S-I-N, your boasting and your pride is sin offensive to God because all that you have was his to give to you first. If God requires us to be humble when things go against us, he requires us to be humble when things go well. And only then, congregation, can we live out our theme, the theme of the sermon. Enjoy the providence with which God has blessed you, the blessings of his providence. If we are not thankful in prosperity, we will not be blessed either. Can you imagine having so much and still being bitter and still feel you got ripped off or your crop should have still been a heavier crop or your investment should have produced more than what they did, more than 5%, let's say, and you're not happy until you get to that level? Oh no, please not. This text came to mind in Proverbs 16. It is better to have little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. If treasure and trouble go hand in hand in your life, it is not going to be a happy one. But lean years and a humble, fearful trust of God. Wow, that sounds like a good life. A blessed life from the Lord. And so, brothers and sisters, consider the prosperity that we enjoy 
in our North American environment. Think of the family members we have and the blessings that we gain from those who love us. Think of this church community of which you are a member through faith in Jesus Christ and all the benefits of belonging to a faithful church where you can be brothers and sisters to each other. Sure, it's the working of God's grace, but His providence is right thrown into the mix. The blessings of His providence that you enjoy from brothers and sisters who encourage you, help you, who may be there for you. Of course, we don't have a perfect church here, not anywhere else for that matter, but still look at the blessings we do have despite our own sinful hearts. We have no threats of warfare in this nation. We have good medical care, despite what people might say. We have fine homes that we live in. We have food in abundance. We can receive a good education. We live in a good land of plenty of employment of opportunity. And I can go on and on to add to the list, not to mention the greatest of all of these things, an eternal inheritance reserved in the heavens for those who love him. And so as you consider these things and count your blessings one by one, know they have come from the hand of God, His providential fatherly hand. And so the upshot in prosperity, be thankful. Be thankful. Every Lord's Day should be a day of thanksgiving unto God. And then lastly, congregation, we are to enjoy the many blessings of God, of his providence, and this means being confident of our God's, our Father's love for us in the future. You see, the God who has controlled the past and who rules the present also upholds the future in his hand as well. And that's how the question 28 concludes concerning what does it benefit us to know that God has created all things and still upholds them by his providence. Well, with a view to the future, we can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature shall separate us from his love for all creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will, they cannot so much as move. This congregation would have been Job's confession before God took everything away from him and it was Job's confession after God took everything away from him too. Job would have understood Lord's Day question and answer 28 to a T. He knew the kind of God who had created him, who he had to deal with. He knew his God in heaven when his God was dealing with him, though he knew not the reason why. But that's okay, as I said earlier. And he makes the grand confession, the Lord has given, the Lord has taken, blessed be the name of the Lord. Job, just like one of us, did not know the future. He did not know what was going to happen the following morning. And when the future came, as it always must, and then he could look back on the carnage, the devastation he experienced, his thinking hadn't changed. 
He's suffered to be sure, but he still says, blessed be the name of the Lord. He's given, he's taken, that's okay. Blessed be his name. And so congregation, with regard to the future, the catechism teaches us that we have a faithful God and Father and that we as his creatures, nothing will separate us from his love because we're so completely in his hand that without his will, we cannot even so much as move. This is a marvelous, marvelous revelation, whether it's stated in the catechism or grounded in the Holy Scriptures. And indeed, it surely is. Look again at Psalm, Psalm 50, 55. This business about not being moved. Uh, question, I mean, uh, verse 22 of Psalm 55. Cast your burden on the Lord. All your cares, all your troubles on the Lord. And he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved to be shaken away from their hope and of their place under his good providence and grace. Brothers and sisters, this gives us the ability to not have to worry. When our teenage kids are not yet home at night and the weather is bad and we can fret so easily, this Lord's Day answer tells us not to be anxious. For we have a faithful God and Father whose loving care is for his children and his creatures, your teenage boys and girls, are so much in his hand that without his will they can't be moved. And so trusting in God's providence, brothers and sisters, especially talking to you parents now, under God's providence you can raise your children that God has given to you with the great hope of his loving care for them. Under God's providence, you who are farmers can sow your crops in the spring and be expecting of a good harvest in accord with his providence. We can begin a new business. We can enter into a new career. We can begin a series of studies in a college or a university and trusting our intellect, our emotions, our desires, our our view for the future, all in God's hands and trusting ourselves to his loving hand for all his creatures are so much in his hand they will not, they will not even be moved without God's holy will. And so brothers and sisters in faith, we can even bring children into the world. I've heard it too often said, why do I want to bring children into this world? It's such a wicked place already and how much worse it's going to get in the next 20, 30 years. Forget that, I'm not going to have kids. But we can bring children into this world, assure the fact that under God's providence, they too will be blessed by him. He, he covenants with them graciously, providentially, to care for them and to love them, to promise his care and to show them his salvation, to commit to them even the prom promises of his grace, sealed and signified to them in their baptism. Sure, we're talking about God's grace here, but his providence is not separated from it at all. Together they work hand in glove in our lives to make us the kind of covenant people, faithfully entrusting ourselves to the Lord, 
do not presumptuously simply to expect his blessings, but to prayerfully seek him for them, knowing that he will answer in accordance with his good love and his constant faithfulness. God is not a God that's going to let you fall through the cracks or forget about your kids when they run off to college or move across the country to another place and look for a job. No, God is good. We must be having a sure confidence regarding the future with our Heavenly Father. So much so we know that nothing will separate us from His love as the Catechism refers to, quoting from Romans 8, verse 28, even Satan, brothers and sisters, cannot destroy your faith. Even Satan and all his awful wickedness and treachery cannot separate you from your God. Remember what the Lord said to Satan when Satan was out to attack his servant and to defy God himself. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has, a Job has, is in your power. God grants him power, to be sure. And yet, only do not lay a hand on his person. In other words, you can't take an inch more away from him but what I permit. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord, and he thought he had it made. He was going to get his way and destroy that Job as much as he could. And he would have the last laugh, so it seemed. And yet we see God ruling over Job's life, not Satan. And so as well for us, congregation, with regard to the future, please have a firm confidence in your faithful God and Heavenly Father that He will keep ruling over you graciously, lovingly. He will never permit the righteous to be moved David says, even though the next breath I've got to have to say, life is not going to be easy. And life hasn't been easy. Show me one person for whom life has only been easy. And yet we can live with a future hope full of expectation of the Lord's gracious providential care You shall not be moved, our God says. You shall not be moved away from your present hope. You shall not be moved from your eternal inheritance. To not be moved does not mean you're not going to have a difficult time. But to not be moved means God will keep you on the solid rock of his saving grace and his providential, providential care and you shall stand. You shall continue under his good care. Oh, the Lord is good, people. The Lord is good. And so trust in him at all times. He's your father, and he's your savior. Amen.